It is essential to hear God in the noise and confusion of this time. Otherwise, you are sure to be deceived. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon as we explore the revelation of God in this season. Now we are continuing in Revelation 13 from verse 4. Because the mortal wound appeared to have been healed, everybody thought that the beast had power beyond what he had. Again, the healing of the mortal wound has to do with the fact that God did not intend that the cross be the final execution of the destruction of the enemy. It set it up perfectly, but God always intended to commit this judgment, even of the, of the beast, into the hands of the saints. To the hands of the saints. Daniel makes that point very clearly when he said, if we, can, if we go back to the book of Daniel, the seventh chapter, he speaks about how uh, one like the Son of Man comes with the clouds of heaven. Here it is. Verse 13 of Daniel 7 says, and he's speaking about the court of heaven set to give judgment in favor of the sons of God. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Here again, clouds of heaven. Uh, Jesus appears always, uh, Jesus has frequently appeared in the cloud. Uh, Nephili, Nephili is the, is the term for cloud, and it also references a gathering or a multitude. So Jesus coming with the clouds of heaven uh, is a reference to appearing in the corporate man. We will note in just a moment when we go back to Revelation that there's blasphemy against those who are in heaven versus those who dwell upon the earth. So there's a distinction made between those who are in heaven and those who are in the earth, but the in heaven there is not a reference to a location in heaven, it's a, it's a reference to people who are born from above, who are heavenly minded, whose minds have been renewed, who are the sons of God, who have the names of their father written upon their foreheads and so on. So when he says, I was watching in the night and one like the Son of Man, he didn't necessarily say the Son of Man, but one like the Son of Man. Uh, we, we, could, we, could, we could give numerous references such as Hebrews chapter 2 who descri which describes Christ and the body of Christ as the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family, which is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and uh, how He sings the praises of God in the congregation of His brethren. Okay? So 
The scriptures require you to understand the scriptures more than just a domesticated reading. You need to understand more than actually what might be stated at any one point in time because it sees the whole. In every portion of it, the whole is anticipated. So if you only see that piece, you will get a linear reference, you will not get an eternal reference. All right? So he comes, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought Him near before Him. Then to Him, to Him, the One like the Son of Man. That is the body of Christ being justified by Christ Himself who here is called the Ancient of Days. Before Abraham was, He said, I am. You know, funny how people have always read this passage, one like the Son of Man, as the Son of Man. No, that's why He's coming in the clouds of heaven. They, the sons of God in the corporate Christ, are coming before Christ. Is there any other reference to that? Of course, they cry out, the souls on the altar cry out, How long, O Lord? And He says to them, to this cloud, to this, the body of Christ, He says to them, Until the full number of your brethren who will be, who will be brought in through this time of great trial, until they are gathered in. So, they appear before the Ancient of Days who is Christ in His eternal form or His pre-earthly form to which He returned when He went back to heaven. He said, Father, glorify Me with the glory I had with You before the foundations of the earth. This is what He said in John 17 as He was about to go back to the Father or go back to heaven. So, to the cloud or to the ones who are like the Son of Man, to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve Him. So the earth will eventually have to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and His kingdom one that will never be destroyed. So judgment, you see, was given in favour of Christ. One of the reading, Daniel 7, 21, as I was watching the horn that was speaking pompous words, same horn that we just read about. Uh, and it adds some factors like that horn asserted itself, uh, overthrew three others, and then it began, it had, it had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Started out as a little horn, but ended up being 
the preeminent one, the spokesman. He said, I was watching and the horn, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, the Lord Jesus Christ in His capacity as judge, and judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. You note the conflation a few verses later between the one like the Son of Man and the saints? They're the same ones who get the judgment in their favor. Right? Judgment was given in favor of the Most High, saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So, from the book of Revelation, we, we, let's go back now to the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, where we had been before, and, uh, and pick up our reading. We had just talked about all the earth, this mortal wound was healed. When Jesus dealt it this blow, it is not to be presumed that that's the final blow because again, uh, it it was given into the hands of the saints to prosecute the matter to its final conclusions. But in the meantime, and after the cross, the enemy, and you will note it's the beast, the beast reconfigured itself and it did so through the Roman Empire. It reconfigured itself and amalgamated, this is the most incredible Uh, statement of the resourcefulness of Satan. He reconfigured himself to amalgamate the church into the empire. Once the church was absorbed into the empire, it was no threat to the beast. Constantine, 325, gave state power to the church and that's when the healing of the original wound began because anytime you rule over anything, it does not threaten you. What Christ accomplished on the cross was to empower a people to utterly and completely destroy the works of the devil. But we should not for a moment think that the enemy doesn't have additional tricks up his sleeve. In fact, he didn't just do it once, he did it several times. He's done it several times. In the various iterations of his seed, his offspring. So the early church, after the death of the original apostles 
and many of the disciples of the original apostles, disciples um, of James, of John, and even disciples of Paul, such as Timothy, when they died, heresies began to creep into the church. In fact, John himself confronted heresies in his day and addressed heresies that were already beginning to creep in to empty the cross of its power, to coin a phrase, to quote. By the time it came to Constantine, that church of the early period, having survived persecution, was now seated in three competing locations, Jerusalem, Antioch, or rather Jerusalem, Ephesus, and Rome. These three were competing factors. Later, with the with the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, Alexandria in Egypt came to be the other center. These also happened to be centers of learning and power. The great library of Alexandria in Egypt uh, drew all manner of scholarly attention to Alexandria. Uh, Anyone who has visited Turkey to the ancient ruins of Ephesus, the most prominent building in the ancient ruins of Ephesus are the, is, uh, the, is the facade of the ancient library in Ephesus. And of course, Rome was the seat of government. And eventually, the Roman faction prevailed in part because they were more adept at the understanding of of how politics and church work. And they persuaded, the the Bishop of Rome persuaded Constantine to adopt the Roman version of things. And uh, the, the Alexandrian faction lost power as ultimately did the the faction that was centered in Ephesus. Rome granted power to the early church at around 325 AD with certain decrees that Constantine issued. It transferred the church, it shifted the power base of the church from the Holy Spirit to the power of the state and established the model of the state church. Satan had said to Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world because they're mine to give. What is that all about? That's about healing the wound that was inflicted at the cross. Even after the classic Roman Empire fell 
in the 5th century. 200 years later, the enemy in an insistence on rebooting itself had the most powerful political figure of Western Europe at the time, a French emperor, a French ruler, the son of Charles the Hammer, Charles Martel, fellow with a, a, a very modest name, Charlemagne, Charles Magny, Charles the Magnificent, was invited to come to the Vatican, uh, come to Rome on Christmas Day, 721 AD, where he was crowned king of what would now become the rebooted classic Roman Empire under new branding, it would be called the Holy Roman Empire. So as Europe began to be recollected from uh, from the Germanic tribes, the Huns, the Goths, the Visigoths, the Franks, and the rest of them, as, it, as, as Europe began to collect itself back into what is now modern Europe, Charlemagne was the prime actor who kept the Muslim influence in check and became the champion of Christianity. I mentioned some in one of the broadcasts, if you go into the present structure called the St. Peter's Basilica, the Vatican, you will see two statues as you enter the main entrance. Going through the main entrance to your left, you will see a statue of a man on a horse. And if you look at the plaque, if you look at the, the carving in the marble of the base of the statue, it'll tell you that this is a, repl- is a representation of Constantine. If you just turn to your right and look at the other end of the foyer, you'll see another man on a horse. And carved in the marble at the base of that statue, it'll tell you that this is Charlemagne, because these two rebooted the Roman Empire. These two granted power to the church, making the church an arm of the state. That's how you heal a mortal wound to the head of the beast. You make room for it. You amalgamate it into the very heart of what you're doing. We have to be crazy to think that these institutions somehow have the potential to present Christ. These are the ways that the enemy blunted the effect so that it could emerge in the end of the age unchallenged. But it's always looking to see where the seed of the woman would manifest itself. In the United States, 
being the leader of the present Western world and the leader of Christianity in the Western world. The old trick has worked again. In all of the movements of the church in the Western world, the enemy has one tried and true approach to healing the threat to its hegemony, the threat to its systems, and particularly the threat to its religious system, because the beast has seven heads and one of them is a religious head. In a moment we'll see, it produces a spokesman who speaks blasphemous things against the Most High and he has ancillary support in the form of another beast arising out of the sea of, out of, out of the earth it says. And this, this beast has two horns like a lamb, but it speaks like a dragon and it herds and shepherds and stewards everybody toward an image, an icon of the beast. We'll unpack all of that momentarily. So my point is, the enemy knows that the way you heal the destructive power of the cross, the way you you, uh, negate the power of the cross is to absorb the church into the prevailing political structure at the time. That is how you do it. That is how you heal a mortal wound. Why? What did Jesus, what was the temptation of Jesus by Satan? He had three of them in the wilderness. One was stones into bread, the other was to cast himself down off the pinnacle of the temple. And the third was, he was taken to a high mountain and he was shown all the kingdoms of the world. The beast in its formative sense was revealed to him and he was offered rule over the beast provided that he would fall down and worship the one who gives his power, his throne and great authority to this beast. You know what he wanted? He wanted Jesus to be the horn that spoke against God as the spokesman for this beast. 
That's what he wanted. Didn't work against Jesus, the mortal wound was inflicted, but he understood because he's been working at this as long as humans have been on the earth. It is the spirit of Babylon. It is where you go, it is, it is, it is the babble. It is the babble that was the language of the plains of Shinar when mankind decided that they could function without God. That city was initially called Babylon or Babel in the Old Testament, in the Greek Babylon. It's the spirit of surviving, it's the spirit of thriving without reference to God. It's what is always offered in the place of the power of the Holy Spirit which brings the revelation of the mind of God, brings to mankind the knowledge, the wisdom, the counsel of the Holy Spirit and it maintains the original intent which is a man in the image and likeness of God. That that offering is designed, the offering of the power of the kingdoms or the power of the state in support of the church is designed to appeal to man's need for provision and protection. When Adam fell from his father, he immediately said that he needed to clothe himself, which was to provide for himself in, in, it, in the entirety of that provision, and he needed to hide himself from God. The state offers individuals provision and protection. It distorts the original intent from the showing of the glory of God, putting the nature of God on display and not by the sweat of your brow, it changes the gospel from that to provision and protection. That is why this emphasis on going to heaven when you die is so important. Now, I have nothing against going to heaven when I die, you may properly assume that's where I am when I'm not here, but what I'm saying is it's merely an extension of the gospel of provision and protection and there it is protection from hell. It has nothing to do with growing up to present the glory of God in a corporate man. It has to do with survival, the ultimate survival I might say. That is how the mortal wound is healed. You incorporate the church into the political structure and make it a harlot, make it arm candy. When when base, vile and contemptible men attain power, political power, what do they want, what do they need? They crave legitimacy. 
Who do they look to to give them legitimacy? When vulgar, contemptible, rapacious fellas struggle and make their way to the top of the political heap, what do they crave most of all? They crave the rehabilitation of their image. Who do they look to to heal their mortal wounds? A prostitute church that is still considered to be a carrier of the glory of God. The mortal wound was healed and everybody adored the beast, thinking he was invulnerable. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.